The reading is uh, Psalm 119, verses 89 to 112, which can be found on page 620 in the Church Bibles. Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your laws. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not stayed strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Thank you very much, Sophie. We're doing something rather different uh, these couple of weeks. Um, If you were here last week, then uh, you'd have heard me explain about that. So that Our normal practice would be to take um, a section of the Bible, um, a bit of a book of a Bible, and uh, focus in on that, think about that particular passage in detail. But um, just for these couple of weeks, um, we're doing something slightly different and looking at a a topic. Um, And the topic that we are focused in upon is this issue of of Christian meditation. which is itself a slightly unusual topic and one that maybe is a little bit unfamiliar to us. Um, so if you weren't here last week, let me just a little bit of a recap. Um, here's um, lots of quotes from the Puritans um, who thought and wrote um, a great deal about Christian meditation. And as last week, I've gathered some of the quotes um, that I'm using um, on a sheet. You can pick it up downstairs if, um, if you find that helpful. Um, so here's, here's one summary slide. Um, from John Owen, uh, one of the Puritans. By meditation, I intend the thoughts of some subject, spiritual and divine, with the fixing, forcing and ordering of our thoughts about it, with a design to affect our own hearts and souls with the matter of it. 
Just notice three things there. Um, first, that, that Christian meditation is contentful. Um, it, it, has, it has a sort of rich content because it's focusing in on the truths of the Bible, um, who God is, what he's done. Um, and then secondly, Christian meditation is richly focused, a, a, a real determination to, to think hard about those things, to consider them deeply, carefully, personally. Uh, with the aim, finally, uh, that this might be affection-shaping. Um, so the goal of Christian meditation is that it, it shapes the affections of my heart, the, the things that my heart focuses on, the things that I really long for, desire, love, uh, that which captures my passions and my enthusiasms um, in life. Um, all of which means that Christian meditation ought to be something that, that matters to us. Because if, if this is what in, in our Christian sort of discipleship um, past generations have found, God uses to shape our passion for himself, then that, that makes it a really important thing in our lives. Um, the, the trouble is we've largely forgotten this practice of Christian meditation. So, um, for those of us that would identify ourselves with, I don't know, evangelicals or reformed evangelicals or whatever labels you want to use, but the, the kind of the tradition that would be representative of, of, of the style of church that we are here at Christchurch, well, this is unfamiliar territory to us. You think about some other Christian sort of branches of the Christian um, churches, and that wouldn't be so. Think of more high church practice, um, some branches of Roman Catholicism. Um, well, meditative prayer would be more familiar. Or you can move in a Pentecostal direction, or indeed even in, in the experience of Quakers. And again, sort of praying deeply and thoughtfully um, and at length would be more familiar there as well. Now, I'm making no judgment about the, the, the content of, those, of that praying, but nevertheless, the practice of more in-depth prayer, much more familiar in some of uh, the Christian traditions around us. But meditative practice would also be pretty common historically in our own tradition. Um, that's why we're hearing lots from the Puritans. Uh, they were right, lined up entirely with, um, with us theologically. Um, but we're big into, into Christian meditation. But it's kind of got forgotten. Now, does that matter? You know, things come, come and go. You know, does it really matter? Should we be bothered? Well, I want to suggest that we should be bothered because, because of the impact that Christian meditation can and should have. Um, another few quotes for you. Um, here again is, uh, is John Owen. Sorry, a bit small. Let me read it. If we settle for mere speculations and mental notions about Christ as doctrine, we shall find no transforming power or efficacy communicated unto us thereby. But when, under the conduct of spiritual light, our affections do cleave unto him with full purpose of heart, our minds fill up with thoughts and delight in him, then virtue, that's change of character, then virtue will proceed from him to purify us, 
increase our holiness, strengthen our graces, and to fill us sometimes with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, a long quote, I know. Um, but, but you catch the sense of it. If you just have sort of, you know, just lightly ideas, doctrines kind of rest upon us, then they don't really make much of an impact. But when they push down, when they really enter in, uh, then things begin to happen. Then we really grasp these things and they begin to affect us uh, more deeply. Uh, We also looked last week at the idea of the way in which transformation comes about in a person's life. By and large, where there are things in our lives that we wish we didn't do, you know, ways that we wish we didn't behave, things we wish we didn't say, habits we wish we hadn't, didn't have, um, things that we'd like to sort of pull back from. Well, by and large, you don't get rid of those things just by trying hard to stop them. By and large, you find that you, you make a change by beginning to, to care about something else more than the thing you're trying to, to pull back from. Um, there's a famous sermon by a man called Thomas Chalmers, um, and the sermon came to be known uh, as the expulsive power uh, of a new affection. Um, and I got some long quotes from, from this sermon, and I think they're worth hearing, so bear, bear with this. Um, this, is, this is explaining what I've just been saying. It is seldom that any of our tastes are made to disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. At least it is very seldom that this is done through the instrumentality of reasoning or by the mere force of mental determination. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed, and one taste may be made to give way to another and to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind. Um, Catch that. Uh, He goes on in this way. Um, uh, Next slide. Um, The way to disengage the heart from the positive love of one great and ascendant object is to fasten it in positive love to another. It's not by exposing the worthlessness of the former, but by addressing to the mental eye the worth and excellence of the latter, that all old things are to be done away with and all things are to become new. Not by rubbishing something and saying, this is awful, don't want that, that rarely works. But by saying, this is gorgeous, this is lovely, this is precious, I must have this. Hence, and the famous phrase from the sermon, the only way to d- dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Now, what could make you really love Christ more? Well, to, to, to truly, deeply, richly love Christ more. You've got to spend time thinking about him. Um, Someone was saying that uh, one of our great perils in seeking to love is that we've become unattentive people. We don't attend to things for any length of time. Well, the idea of Christian meditation is, is, is spending time with an idea, with a truth, with a thought, attending to it so that we fall in love. Uh, more richly, more deeply, more profoundly uh, with Christ. Um, Okay, if that's what we're about and why it matters, um, what what I want to spend time on uh, this morning, as I promised last week, was how do you do it? Um, It's one thing for me to 
to commend it to you as something really valuable and important uh, because of the way that it, it, it grabs our hearts. Um, it's our ally in coming to love Christ um, more. H- how do you do it? Well, um, understand that meditation sort of sits in a kind of midpoint between reading the Bible and praying. It's kind of in that, in that mid-zone between the two. If you like, you know, we read the Bible, um, and it's the content of the Bible that we meditate upon. And, and in meditating, we are then driven into prayer. Um, maybe you, you do try and read the Bible regularly, and maybe try and pray regularly. But maybe you notice that it's all a bit disjointed. You know, you read the Bible for a bit and then you close your Bible and now I'm going to say some prayers. And now you say your prayers and you go through a list of things or whatever comes into your mind. But it's all a bit disjointed, really. And you sense that there ought to be a bit more of a tie-up between what I've just read and what I'm now going to pray. Well, this activity of meditation um, is very much providing the link uh, between the two. Um, And as we pray in the things we've been meditating about, it, it kind of lands them, holds them, keeps them. Um, Here's another quote that captures that idea. Prayer fastens meditation upon the soul. Prayer is a a tying a knot at the end of meditation that it doth not slip. Pray that God will keep those holy meditations in your mind forever, that the savour of them may abide upon your hearts. We don't like it, do we, when we sense hypocrisy in ourselves. Um, We like it even less when we see it in others, but let's focus on ourselves for a moment. Uh, We don't like it when when we're aware of our own hypocrisy. We we, we say, this is what I believe, I'm a Christian believer and this is what matters to me, and then we sense that the way we're living, thoughts we're having, things we're doing, just not consistent with that. we, We don't like that about ourselves. Well, what this is saying is that, is that meditation is, is, a, is a, a real friend to us in, in making sure that the truths that we encounter, the truths that we profess, the truths that we say matter to us, take root, stay stuck. They don't just slide off us too easily. It's, it's the idea that was there in Psalm 119, um, where uh, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Meditation is, is the, the key way, a key way of making sure that the, the truths sit with us, stay with us, uh, don't just slide uh, away from us. Puritans had loads of practical advice about how you go about this. Um, and what I want to try and do now is... is put some of these practicalities in front of you um, and then um, we should just about have our timing right that we're going to give ourselves to a few minutes at the end of time when, if you would like to, um, we will give ourselves to a, to a short period of meditation. But here are some of their practical advice. Okay? If you're going to meditate, be alone. Okay? But be apart from other people. Uh, alone in your room, uh, alone on a walk, Um, be apart from others and alone with the Lord. Uh, Second, be quiet, be silent. Um, Get away from all the buzz and clamor, um, our smartphones, um, music, radios, everything. Um, Just be quiet, 
so that our hearts are as clear from the world as they can be. Third, be unhurried. Make time for this. Um, We're used to everything being instantaneous and quick. Um, Well, be unhurried with meditation. Uh, Puritans reckon that 30 minutes uh, was, uh, uh, was an appropriate time uh, for people who are beginning meditation, even longer for those who are beginning um, to be able to do it more easily. Um, be regular with it. Um, see it as something that um, maybe you develop a, a, a pattern with, um, same time, same place, uh, same routine, um, so that it begins to become familiar to you. Um, Richard Baxter said that frequency will habituate thy heart to the work and make it more easy and more delightful. Um, you know what it is. The first time you do something, it feels, feels a bit clumsy, a bit odd, and, and you become, you're very self-conscious. Um, but persevere, and that self-consciousness begins to, to pass. Um, and it becomes easier to, to, to be able to settle into to whatever it is. Well, it's true of meditation. Um, and then also be persistent. Um, don't give up too quickly and you think, oh, this isn't working, this is a funny idea, it's not doing me no good whatsoever. You just persevere for a little bit. Um, we know that, I mean, most things that are worth doing, you, you know, you have to persist with. Um, I don't know, you, you're trying to learn to, to paint watercolours. You know, you, you don't get out your paintbrush, dab a few paints, and oh, I can't seem to do this, give up. I mean, you'd, you'd persevere, you'd stick with it, you'd, you'd sort of try and try a bit more and see if, you, if with persistence you could begin to make some headway. Well, the same would be true um, here as well. Um, another lovely quote from Richard Baxter. Um, Continue till thou hast pleaded thyself from a clod to a flame. He love the Puritans. From a clod to a flame. Um, from a forgetful sinner and a lover of the world to an ardent lover of God. From a fearful coward to a resolved Christian. From an unfruitful sadness to a joyful life. In a word, till thou hast pleaded thy heart from earth to heaven. Persevere. Stick with it. It takes time to achieve these things. And that's a persevere in the moment, um, but also persevere over a period of time, uh, over weeks, months, uh, as you seek uh, for this to, to, to matter to you. Okay, so, so those things, um, be alone, be silent, be unhurried, be regular, be persistent, all about the way in which you go about this. But now next question, what about the, the content? What do you actually meditate upon? What, what, what's the process involve? Well, lots who've written about this um, talk in terms of three kind of stages. Um, give them different names, but they've got the same idea. Um, the, the first stage is what Richard Baxter called consideration, um, considering something. Um, this, is the, this is kind of what we were talking about last week. You, you take a Bible truth or you take a Bible verse and you really consider it. It's like the bee upon the flower, sucking all the sweetness out of that verse. Um, it's like the lover with the letter from their beloved. Um, you know, you're looking at it again and again, looking at it from all angles, trying to, trying to gather as much as you can. Um, of understanding um, about this particular truth. Um, Maybe you said it alongside other truths that come to mind. 
um, and think about the way that they connect. How, do, how does this truth connect with that truth? Um, looping back always uh, to the central uh, truth that your meditation is upon, uh, where you began. Okay, so that, that's that consideration, just really resting, wrestling, puzzling over the particular truth that you've chosen to spend time with. Um, after consideration comes, um, we'll call it self-talk. The Puritans, because they like long words that we don't understand, um, talked about soliloquy. Um, but it's self-talk. It's addressing myself, speaking to myself, um, urging myself on. The psalmists are doing this all the time, aren't they? Do you catch that? If, you, if you're reading a psalm, and one of the things you need to do when you're reading a psalm is notice which direction is the speech going in? Um, because it often shifts very quickly. One minute the, the psalmist is speaking to themselves, um, then they're speaking to God, then they seem to be speaking to other people. Um, and you need to sort of you need to stay alert to work out who's being spoken to at one point. Um, well, this self-talking um, is a real feature here. Um, Psalm 42, we'll give you an example of this. Um, uh, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? the psalmist speaking to their own soul, addressing themselves. Um, um, and then the next phrase, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. The psalmist having asked themselves a couple of questions, now the psalmist is sort of urging themselves, exhorting themselves, telling themselves to do something. Um, put your hope in God. Um, and then the final phrase, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you well, we've now moved to prayer because now the psalmist is addressing God. I'm going to remember you, God. Um, well, in a similar way, this stage of, of meditation involves that kind of shifting voice. Um, thinking about the truth. Um, speaking to my soul about the truth. You know, why, do you, why, why do you find this so hard to believe? Why do, why do other things seem so much more attractive? Um, I, I need to stop being so easily caught up in the things of the moment. Um, Lord God, help me to, 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 to think on eternity um, more than I do instead of just being caught up in the moment again and again. Um, just speaking to yourself, moving the voice. Um, and then thirdly, moving from self-talk into prayer. Um, uh, directly speaking uh, to God. And, and in this phase, um, Luther um, helpfully picks out three sort of um, three elements of prayer um, uh, as you move on from meditation into prayer. Um, and first of all, he talks about praise, that having identified this truth, having meditated upon it, having spoken to yourself about it, then to thank God for it, that to praise him that this is... Th- that this is true. Praise him that he's like this. Um, just speak to him about how good it is that he's a God of this sort. Um, and then move from there into confession to acknowledge a failure to, to live life as if this were true. To, to, to talk about the mismatch um, that exists between uh, this truth that I say I believe and, and the way that I actually live um, and pick out some of the ways of which uh, that is the case. 
uh, before then finally moving um, to, to make requests, to ask God that in particular ways, for yourself or for others, um, this truth would shape you um, in the way that you ought to be shaped, should be woven into the very fabric uh, of your life. Which is a good reminder that the, the purpose of meditation is to drive to Christian obedience. It's not a, it's not a sort of... Um, it's not just a sort of theoretical thing. Um, one of the Puritans says, meditation must enter the door of understanding, get into our heads, understand what the truths are, must enter the door of the heart and the affections, must come to believe it and feel it and it matter to us, and then finally the door of practical living, that having understood this, treasured it, it comes to, 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 to make it matter to us, then you get on and live it out. Um, in Christian discipleship. Okay, now, before we run out of time, um, if, 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 you're, if, you, if you don't want don't to go with this, then use this next 10 minutes um, to think about whatever you want to think about. Um, you don't have to play. Um, sorry, that was trivial. That was uh, uncalled for. Um, you, you don't need to, to, to join in with this exercise if you don't want to. Um, so I don't, I don't want anyone to feel under pressure to do so. Um, but if you would like to, then um, let, me, um, let me suggest how we might go about this. But this is a bad idea, isn't it? I mean, you can see that this is a bad idea, because I've told you all the practical things about meditation, and we are now about to break all of them. You know, I've said, you know, be alone. You know, well, no. Um, you know, be quiet. No, everyone's going to be ruffling, and you know, people will be coughing, and, and we'll hear children downstairs and whatever. Um, you know, so, and, you know, be unhurried. No, because the service needs to finish. You know, I mean, so everything about this is wrong, all right? But, you know, God is gracious. Let's see what he can do um, with, um, with 10 minutes just the same. Um, I'm going to suggest that we, that we meditate on Psalm 23. So do you want to find a Bible um, and turn to Psalm 23? I've chosen Psalm 23 because it's familiar um, to many of us, I guess. Um, page 555. Um, grab a Bible. Um, now what I would suggest is that um, in a moment when I stop talking and um, create some quiet um, or as much quiet as we can have that you you just read through Psalm 23 you you may not go much further than the first couple of verses which is fine because just just find a phrase that catches your attention Um, and uh, let that be the springboard for, for these 10 minutes of meditation, all right? Um, take the phrase and then read it, think about it, talk to yourself about it. Um, um, urge yourself in relation to it and then move on to prayer, okay? So, so walk through the steps um, that I've been mentioning um, in relation to whatever phrase it might be. Um, to prime the pump and, and to, to make sure that we're, we're kind of on the same page. Um, let, me, um, let me kind of imagine out loud um, as if you were listening in on the way that I might meditate on um, the idea of God's rod and staff. Okay, let's suppose that that's the phrase that catches me, um, that um, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, end of verse 4. Um, and perhaps I begin to imagine to myself 
um, God prodding and poking me, um, using his rod and his staff to keep me close to him so that I don't wander away from him. And then perhaps in my mind I connect that to um, a talk I heard recently on Christ's victory on the cross. And I find myself thinking not so much about the rod and the staff as, as instruments for guiding, but um, more as weapons. That actually the shepherd uses his rod and his staff to, to, to fight, to fight off um, threat. Um, and I think of the way that Christ did that, that there is, a, there is a lion prowling around ready to devour, but that Christ has won a victory. Uh, the enemy is defeated. Uh, he is powerful. And in my mind's eye, I see a victorious Jesus who defends me against threat. And then I loop back to the psalm again, and I, and I notice that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so I meditate on comfort for a bit and, and wonder why, why this image, why the image of comfort? What is it that's comforting about, uh, about this operation of the rod and the staff? And perhaps I begin to think, well, Actually, it is comforting to have boundaries. It is comforting that, that God sets limits and won't let me just wander anywhere. Um, and by, by, by fencing me in, actually he keeps me safe. And that it's a great comfort to know that God secures me. Uh, and then having considered those, I begin to, to speak to myself about them. I begin to urge myself not to resist God's rule. I uh, speak to myself about the, the, the folly uh, of resisting one who was willing to die for me. Perhaps I speak to myself, so where would you rather go? Who would you rather follow than this Christ who was willing to die for you? So where would you find anyone who loves you even a thousandth uh, of the measure that Christ loves me? Why resist his rule? Why not cheerfully, eagerly take up his yoke? And then self-speech would give way to prayer, praising the God who has fought my battle and won it for me. What a saviour you are, that you are willing to endure the cross to secure me. Speaking to him of the excellence of his rules, it's not a burden to follow your commands, Lord God. Your rod's not harsh, you're full of kindness and love confession. I'm sorry that I don't think of it that way. I'm sorry that I see your commands as burdensome. I find myself imagining you as a God who spoils my life instead of who enriches it. Sorry that my heart's cold when I have so many reasons to love you until finally moving to petition. Lord God, warm my heart with love for you. Teach me not so much to resist your rule as love your commandments as though they, they were my very life. Um, I hope you, you get the idea. Um, so I'm going to leave us with 10 minutes of quiet now um, and uh, um, then I'll interrupt in about 10 minutes' time. Well, there's no um, easy way to, to interrupt um, so I will just interrupt. I'm going to invite the band, come back to the front. Um, I don't know how you found that, um, maybe with lots of distractions around, uh, not easy. Um, but I hope, perhaps just in a very small way, um, that may have given you just a little bit of a taste 
uh, of the way in which meditation could perhaps feature um, if it doesn't already um, as um, part of your Christian discipleship. Um, uh, here's a challenging final quote um, from, uh, from one of the Puritans. It's not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, we, um, uh, we know uh, how often uh, the truths that we profess with our lips uh, rest far too lightly uh, on our hearts and our lives. Um, and we, we long for that um, to be different. Uh, we long for uh, the, the, the rich and precious truths uh, of all that you have done for us in Christ. Uh, to, um, to, so, um, to so fill our hearts um, that we are indeed brought to, uh, to joy. Uh, a joy unspeakable even. And we are um, uh, motivated uh, to love, uh, to love and praise you and to love uh, others around us, uh, that our lives might better reflect uh, the shape of the gospel uh, that, we, um, that we profess. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um,